we started a series on money, and because it's a series, we'll be talking about it again today, and some of you are like, oh no, 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 Mark, I invited a friend, you can't be talking about money today, like, well, why didn't you warn us, right? We talked about this last week. I know a lot of times when you start hearing about money in church, it's, it gets a little scary, and you're like, oh no, they're going to pass it off again, you know, he, God just wants my money, and God wants my wallet, and the church, I knew it, I thought this place was different. Um, just want to put you at ease. We're not passing around another offering plate at the end of the service. We're not trying to weasel your wallet out of your pocket. We actually want to do this for you, and uh, we really mean that. The reason we talk about, um, you know, money in church is something like, we shouldn't mix God and money. Um, we talked about it last week. You've probably already done that at some point in your life. If you've ever prayed for a job or if you've ever prayed to sell a house or anything, you've mixed the two. So we're going to gladly do that this morning with you as well. Uh, and and the, the main reason we talk about it is because Jesus talked a lot about it. Uh, most of 15% or 20% of his messages were about money, more than about faith, more than about prayer. The Bible's got over 2,000 verses that talk about how to handle uh, your finances. So we want to we wanna talk about that. Last week we talked about this, and you can't forget this. And this being a series, if you missed last week, you need to have that understanding before today's can, can be um, really fully understood. And the main parts of last week is this. God cares about your heart. He's not really all that concerned about, you know, your money primarily. He's concerned about your heart. And the reason he's concerned about your money at all is your heart follows your money. Your heart, if the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And his whole um, goal for us is that our hearts would not be entangled in this planet, in this world. It's what he had to save us from. It was always, you know, that, that idea of tied to the, to the lie of what it means to live for us here. Uh, and our hearts follow our money. So that's why we, we start talking about money. It's why he talked about money. Money's not evil. We talked about that last week. But loving money can lead to all kinds of evil and stuff in our lives. So um, two thoughts for you. You can have money, but money can have you. And so we've been trying to say, hey, which is which for you? Does money have you or do you have money? And last week we talked about how a good father cares for his kids. And I talked about my son Lincoln and giving him a jackknife and saying a jackknife's not dangerous if you use it right. And God's the same way with money. It ain't dangerous if you use it right. And so we wanted to, um, we wanted to talk about that. So this morning I want to start with this thought. There's an enemy that every one of us has and it's called average. There's a book written about it. But it's this, it's this thought about being average, average. None of you, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, I just want to grow up and be average someday. Just want to have an average job, average house, you know, an average occupation, average dreams, just average size. I just want to be average. No, you dreamed of being like something amazing and somehow you ended up being in this spot where you end up in average. And as, as a church, we don't want Kingsway people to be average. We want them, when they look at Haldeman County and they're like, wow, those Kingsway people, they are bringing up the curve. You know, the, because here's the truth. The average Canadian owes more than $21,000 in consumer debt. It ain't me, but some of you must be bringing that curve up. I don't know. But the average Canadian owes $21,000 over and above their mortgage. I know. Look around. wonder who that is, eh? All right. We won't look too long. But half of, half of Canadians live paycheck to paycheck. By the time you get to payday, you've been broke for a week. No money. Average. That's the average Canadian. Uh, it's a saying, I often find that there's too much money left over at the end of the money. And we want to encourage you and challenge you that that's, that's average. But we don't want you to be average, and God doesn't want you to be average either. Another thought in this, in this series that you have to just kind of keep in mind is there is zero difference between your spiritual life and your real life. 
Some of you, you compartmentalize the two. There's spiritual stuff like church and worship music and doing your devotions. And then there's real life, like a job and money and business and family and whatever else. And you're like, hey, I got my Sunday look and I've got my real life. And he's saying you can't compartmentalize the two. They are so entwined. Everything about your life is spiritual. If you're a follower of Jesus, he said you are the church. Not where you go on Sunday, but wherever you are, you're the church. So it's this idea that, that wherever you are, that's where the church is. Wherever you are, it's spiritual. And everything about your life is spiritual. And it's dangerous to compartmentalize the two because then what happens is you look at certain things as being, oh, this is about honoring God and this is about something else. And he's saying money ends up in the side of spiritual along with everything else that in our lives we would honor him. See, because misunderstanding the purpose of something leads to the misuse of it. If you don't understand the purpose of it, it's, you're going to misuse it and it's going to cause you pain. I saw this thing on, on YouTube. I was going to try and uh, show you the video. It's just too painful to watch. If you're like into that kind of stuff, go home and Google shopping cart fail. And for hours, you can watch people doing this, getting into shopping carts and using them for something other than that they are intended for. This ends up with them going down a storm drain. They hit the storm at the bottom, go over. One lands on top of the other. The guy in the black helmet's face hits the pavement. It, I know, I know. You can play it out in your mind. But why? Because it's not what a grocery cart is used for. You misuse stuff, it's going to lead to pain. And it's not just things like this. You misuse and misunderstand what money's for, you're gonna, you'll misuse it, and it'll bring pain into your life. And something that we want to try and help you avoid. But it's not just money. All kinds of the, the, the things that God's given us in our lives, if you misuse them or misunderstand the purpose. Sex is another one. You misunderstand or misuse that, it's going to bring pain into your life. Marriage. If you think you married your mom and she's going to clean up after you, it's going to cause pain in your life. That's not what marriage is for. You know, if you, um, if you misuse friendship or misunderstand and think, they're my best friends, they need to do everything for me. I'm moving, so they need to help. They're my friends. You're going to be short on friends. It's going to cause pain in your life. See, and the Bible's given to us to understand things so that we wouldn't misuse them and wouldn't bring pain into our lives. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 said this, this is the part we all know is the first part. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But the second part says, and some people craving money, searching after, going after money, they've wandered from true faith and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. This idea of going after money, which kind of is the whole idea of our, of our North American existence, is get, 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 more, 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 leads to pain. So many times we're sold the lie and so many of us on the other end of it are like, ah, it hurts. It hurts. So the question we ought to ask you this morning is, what is your purpose? What's your understanding for, the, for why you have money? What's your purpose for your money? And you got to ask yourself, what, what, what are you doing it for? To become rich and have more? Maybe for you it's to save up for retirement. Maybe for you it's to give it all away. Maybe for you it's to take care of your family. And some of these are noble thoughts. I'm working hard. I'm raising money because I want to take care of my family so that when I'm gone, they're taken care of. Maybe it's to buy nice stuff. Whatever it might be, the reason that you're working and gaining money, what's the purpose of it? See, the goal in this whole series is to help line up our purpose with what his purpose is for that. What's his purpose for money? And part of it, you'll be, you know, as you may find, is this idea of honoring him, uh, honoring him with it, living balanced with it and in it. So if you turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1, I want to just talk a little bit this morning about the purpose of money. It's so important to understand the heart, but here's the purpose. Then God blessed them, says uh, about Adam and Eve. 
And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish. You see this word, reign. Remember that. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. It says in verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. And then in verse 15, a couple of verses later, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. God gave them authority over the planet. He said, listen, you guys are the ones I want you to be in charge. We know that as the story goes, they gave some of that charge over to the enemy um, when, uh, when there was, you know, that, 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 that whole apple and Eve thing, right? And, and Adam was a part of it. Um, but they, they, they gave, they gave, just saying, I know, I know. So, oh good, you're here still. All right, so they just, uh, he gave them, he gave them this garden and it says he gave them food and then he gave Adam a job. He gave him a job, two things he had to do, to tend and to watch over. To tend, the word simply means to work. He says, he put him in the garden, he says work. That idea of work is to work for someone else, serve someone else. And then the second part was watch over, to keep, to protect, and to observe it. So this morning I have two main points I just want you to remember at the end. One is work and the other is watch. Can we say that together? Work and watch. And a few points on each of those. So here, let's talk about work first. The Garden of Eden... So many of us think, you know, we just got to get back to the garden. Got to get back to the way it was. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's a hammock, you know, five-star luxury resort. Everybody's going to wait on me. Adam had it so easy, right? You just pick food off the things. And that's this craving in life to just get to retirement, and that's going to be me. That's, you know, that's just what I want, to get back to that spot. No need to work. But as we look about and realize that in the garden, God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a garden, and I'm going to give you a job. It's this idea of God gave it, now go get it principle. And it's something you see as you look through the word, you see it all the time. When he was leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he, he gave them manna, food from heaven, just raining down on the ground. But it was these little tiny seeds that they, that they had to go and, and pick up, and they had to grind it into to, um, to powder, powder or, or flour and make cakes out of it. So he basically said to them, listen, I'm going to give it to you, but now you've got to go get it. And he gave them these, these rules about going to, um, how they were going to get it. And it was just a small things. Go and do it. Here it is. Go get it. Then you look at him leading the children of Israel out to the promised land. He's like, I'm going to give you this whole land. Now go fight for it. Like, I thought you gave it to me. I did. Now go fight for it. See, what happens so often with Christians is, is they get this wonky idea um, that, you know, God's just going to provide for everything in your life. Man, if I need money, just got to pray about it. God's going to give it to me. It's just not in the Bible. You know, some of you are like, ugh, I don't want to have a job. And you're praying. You're like, God, give me a job. Pay my bills. Or if you can just pay my bills, that would be, that's really what I really want. See, given this idea of, of working, Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 kind of explains way back then that God's plan was never just to give you money. He said to the children of Israel, remember. Why? Because we forget stuff. He's like, remember that God gives you the strength and ability to make wealth. He's like, I'm giving you guys strength. I'm giving you ability to make money. I'm giving you gifts and talents that you can trade for finances, for wealth, things that he's given to you. What abilities has he given to you? And some of you are like, I already have a job. Are you getting better at it? For some of you, it's like, hey, you know, you're good with your hands. You know, some of you are good with speaking. Some of you are good with people. Some of you are good with different things. He's given you those abilities in order to make wealth. And some of you are like, ah, I'm not sure. Just wait till the end. So 
the thing that some of you are saying, hey, I already have a job. I already get this idea that I'm supposed to work. One of the most important things I think we need to consider in this day and age is that we teach this and pass this on to our kids. To our teenagers here, if you don't, if you're, if you're getting of getting into the workforce, you've heard some bad teaching along the way, just by the way people have shown you. Sometimes this idea of this, uh, this generation that's growing up that thinks that the world owes them a living, this idea of entitlement. And I know that's an American kid, but there's some Canadians that are similar. <laughs> so, so it's this, uh, this idea of the world owes me, the world owes me a living. And you know how it comes out? They don't go out and say it. They just go out in this idea of like, how little can I work and still get paid? How little of an effort can I put in and still make money? Culture cannot survive on that, uh, on that mentality. And we are about to see that um, change uh, just simply because of how that has flipped our, our, our whole um, financial system uh, on its end. It doesn't work that way and it was never designed to. If you look at Proverbs, he goes through and says, listen, get a job. It talks about in Proverbs. It talks about go to the ant and store up for the future. Be smart. Be wise about this. If you're a young person and you've, got, you've, you've had five jobs already, the problem's not your boss. Just saying. If you're mad at me, I didn't write this stuff. So Paul, 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 wrote, to the, uh, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians later in the day. You're like, Mark, that's just Old Testament. We're New Testament. You talk about that every Sunday. Thank God we're in the New Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. He said in the same thing. Paul went to the Thessalonian church. You can read about it in 2 Thessalonians, third chapter. He says, when I was with you guys, I worked hard. He says, I was paying my own way. I didn't take anything from you. Why? Not because I couldn't. I could have done it that way and it would have been fine. But he says, I wanted you to see what it's like to work hard. I wanted you to follow my example. I want you to, to take care of your family. And then he went and said something incredibly strong. He says, if there's people who refuse to work, he says, they shouldn't eat. And he also says, if there's people who refuse to get a job and refuse to work, he says, and who are not taking care of family, he says, they are the lowest on the planet. He says, don't even hang out with them. He felt about it so strongly to be able to say certain things. And I know that there's situations where it's impossible to work, but for me, that's not the problem. It's his unwillingness to. And God's put it in our hearts to say, hey, I put you on the planet to work and to watch. Let me give you a couple thoughts for those of you who find it a little bit difficult with this idea of work, and all of us, because there's some lies that we believe, and one of these is that you are what you do, but it's a lie. You are not what you do, because some of, for some, you know, your personal value is so tied to what you do. It's this idea of the reason you work is because, or the, uh, you've been searching for a title. You want it. You want to feel something about yourself, so you work really hard. It's one of the reasons why I don't really um, uh, require or even allow you to call me Pastor Mark. Because it's not who I am. It's what I do. I don't call you water trucker Tom, you know, or I don't call you like, you know, contractor Brian uh, or unemployed. Well, we won't say who that was. All right, so, but, but, but we, don't, we don't do that, right? We don't, we don't go along those lines because your value is not based on what you do. And men have a difficult time with this. And for some of you, it's like this idea of, oh, I hate my job because your worth is being tied to what you're doing. And he's saying that's not what it's about. Your worth is far more than what you do. You know, you ask somebody, hey, what are you worth? Well, I don't know. My boss pays me 18 bucks an hour, so I guess that's what I'm worth. See, but your value is not based on what you do or how much you're paid. It's based on who you are. You will always be a human being, not a human doing. Your value is based on who you are. If you look at yourself, you're one of a kind. You're a masterpiece. There is no one else like you. You're an original. 
There's value in those originals. There's value in those rare things, and you're one of them. You look at the cross, and you think about the price that somebody was willing to pay for you. Man, if you ever wonder about your value, it's determined by this idea that there's a, a God who loved you so much that he paid an incredible price for you. So you hear this thing as a kid. I heard it, this thought it's helped me throughout my life. Success is not getting the job you love. It's loving the job you get. Success is not getting the job you love. It's loving the job that you get. You know, Steve Jobs, he said, hey, don't, don't settle. He says, work, find the job you love and it'll your life. So many have bought into that, except Steve didn't keep his own advice. He did all kinds of other things. But here's the idea. Job's not what defines us. It's not the end-all and be-all. It doesn't matter if you, you know, so, so many keep, they, they hate their job because they think the next one, the next one, I'm going to find the one that I love, and then it'll be fine. But guess what? You're missing out on the moments of where you are right now. And learning to love where you are, you'll realize a couple of these things. It doesn't determine your value. So you can just love whatever you're doing now. Third thought is this, you're not working just to make money. For some, that's the thing. Why am I working? Hate my job because they don't pay me enough. But I'm just working because do it, I do it, I do it, I do it for money. I know that's a long time ago, but all right. Remember, remember your work is spiritual. Colossians chapter 3 says this, slaves. And you're right away tuning out like, that's not me. I'm not a slave. The word's doulos in the, in the Greek. It means servants. It means workers. It means managers. Obey your earthly masters, the one you submit to or listen to or work for. In everything you do, and even if you are self-employed, you're working for someone. Whoever's on the other end of whatever you're producing, you work for. So try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve your boss sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. All of a sudden he takes work and he ties it into something more. It says in verse 23, work. Work willingly. At whatever you do, it doesn't matter what it is, but do it as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. How many of you work for the Lord? Mm-hmm. Most people think that, wow, you do, Mark. You're a pastor. Of course you work for the Lord, but not me. I just do, I just work at John. You work for the Lord. Not that thing, sorry. Um, but he's saying, you know, this idea of you work for the Lord. He says, remember. Why? Because we forget. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is actually Christ. Remember last week we talked about this idea of storing up heavenly rewards and not having our heart tied into here? See, if you think you're just working for money, your heart's going to get tangled into all the things here. Martin, um, how you, um, it's like not what you do, but how you work determines your rewards. That's what he's talking about. It's not like how, this idea of how little can I do and still get paid, but wait a second, I work for him. So it's all about this idea of working from the heart. Martin Luther, guy who lived, you know, hundreds of years ago, wrote this. He said, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she might sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. Huh. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Hmm. Even him having that understanding back then, you know what? We need great men and women, great businesses, great business leaders, great employees, great workers who have an understanding of all of that is for his purpose, getting all of that tied to his purpose. So many of you are so scared. If I do something for God, or if I, if I let God into my wallet, he's going to take it all. Your God is way too small. He could just take it all if he wanted to. He hasn't yet. The idea of why he hasn't taken it all is because if he can trust you with it, it can change the world. 
You know, we think about these things. We showed these missions this morning, these places where there's women who are considering whether they can afford to have a child they feel is a mistake. They think by aborting that baby's life, it's going to cause, you know, uh, less stress in their lives. What do they need? They need somebody to put their arm around them? Yes. They need somebody to pray for them? Yes. But what else do they need? They need somebody to pay for where they're going to live. They need somebody to buy some baby clothes. They need somebody who's going to be able to do that stuff. Well, who's going to do that? Oh, dear God, just drop money on me. He did, except he put it in your wallets. This idea of you can change the world if you're surrendered to his purposes and understanding. So he gave Adam a job, number one, to what? Work. I know you're like, oh, please make the other one much more exciting. To, to what? To work. To work. But Adam was not just here to work and neither are you. He says he gave him the idea of to work and to watch. To work and to watch. The idea of watching is keeping, protecting, observing, managing. He says, yeah, I want you to work in the garden, but I want you to manage it. Because it's not about how much money you make. It's about how you manage it. It has nothing to do with how much money you make in your lifetime, but how you manage it. There's some here, you make very little money, and you manage it very, very well. There's some of you who make a lot of money, you manage it very, very poorly. It comes down to this idea of how you think, you know, you're, the way you, you deal with money is this. So I want to give you this one here for those who are listening. It's a colander or a sieve. For some, you think this is, you know, this is how your life is. You're like, you know where your money comes from. Paycheck, you know, that government allowance from the, for the thing for having children. They pay you for that. It's awesome. Put it in, you know, and uh, maybe for you, it's like your allowance. You just like psh, put it in. You're walking through your life. Oh, sweet. And you get to the next payday and you look, there's nothing left. Where'd it go? Where did it all go? And you're like, oh, well, I'll just do it again. Put more in. And you're carrying your finances. Like, where did it go? Like, well, I guess the answer is I need to make more. So I'm going to get another job. I'm going to work harder. And you're sticking it all in. And you have no idea where it's going. Or you're the other side. We're like, all right, I know where it's coming from. Put the finances in. Got my paycheck. Put it in. Get the money from the government for having kids. Put it in. You still get allowance. And you're 30. Put it in. And you're like, all right, now. Now I got it. All right. Time to get my measures out. Mortgage. Gas for the car. You know, uh, pay, uh, buy some new clothes. Good. Pay whatever your bills are, heat, hydro, insurance. Get down, like, oh, sweet. I got some money left for pizza and a movie. All right, let's go. Which one looks more like your finances? This one or this one? I'll turn around so you don't have to. Which one? See, in the Balance series by Andy Stanley, he said something interesting. He said this, you got to be knowing where your money is going. Say it together. You need to be knowing where your money is going. And thanks for telling me that. Now I want you to tell yourself. I need to be where my money is. Good. We'll come back to that test. Why? 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 Because this idea of where did it go is so, so important. And here's, here's why. Because Jesus began to tell a story um, to his to his followers. It's in the book of Matthew. If you can find Matthew, it's in the, it's in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 25. He said, uh, Matthew is an eyewitness of Jesus. They were wandering, walking with him, I guess, at Jerusalem. And Jesus said, all these temple buildings, they're like, oh, they're so great, the disciples said. He says, they're all going to be wiped out. And then it says, we talked about this last week, context, context, context. Who is Jesus talking to? Because that's what matters. It says, so then uh, it says in uh, the, the beginning of chapter 24, that they end up with him on the Mount of Olives and they, his disciples come to him and ask him privately. So who's asking him? 
his disciples, his followers. So if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, you're just here, somebody invited you, you're just kind of hanging out, you're distracted by the baby, and we're back. And so you're just, you're just, you're just here, right? I know, I can't compete. Um, he's, um, but you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not really into this whole church thing. He's not necessarily saying this to you. You can benefit from it, but it's not written to you. Who he's writing to and talking to that day is his followers. He's saying, hey, if you're, to my disciples, they're sitting around there and they're probably like, hey, Matthew, go ask him. Go ask him when this is all going to happen. Go ask him when it's going to end. And Matthew's like, no, I'm going to write it down. You go ask him, John. So John's like, okay, Jesus, when's it all going to end? And Matthew pens it and writes it for us. When's it all going to end, Jesus? And Jesus says to him, um, he starts telling him some stories. He says, guys, you know what? I can't tell you exactly when it's all going to end. Nobody knows when that's going to happen. But what I can tell you is how to live between now and then. How to live between when, um, where you are now and when it is all ends. And he begins to tell them three stories about this word called watch. The three stories, one is about a servant. He says, if a master comes back from a trip unexpectedly and finds the manager, and he finds that he did a good job, he'll say, hey, you did a good job. If he comes back unexpectedly and finds out the manager did a bad job, he says, you did a bad job. He says, but there's going to be this unexpected return, and there'll be an account given. So he says, watch. Then he tells the story, the famous one about the five foolish virgins and the five wives who mismanaged the other way around. The foolish ones mismanaged their time and their oil. And he talks about how they weren't ready when, when the person, um, the groomsman, returned. And then he tells his third story, and I want to just focus on that this morning. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, those who work, those who manage those who are about their master's business, and he entrusted his money to them. Who does he say? His. Remember that. Entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing in proportion to their abilities. Somebody like, why did they get five and no one got two and the poor guy got one? You do not need to worry about what anybody else has been given. For some, you're like, wow, that person's in the same industry as me and they just like, everything's going well for them. He gave and entrusted you with something, and he says, that's, that's all that, that matters. And then the, the man left on a trip. So the servant, in verse 16, who received the five bags of silver, began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. He said, you know what, as he returns, he's like, there's going to be this time where people have to give an account of how they use the money. What did you do with what I gave you? Then it says in verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise and said, well done, my good and faithful servant, which means you reliable and faithful and useful manager. You've been faithful in handling small amount. Now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. High five! Let's celebrate together. And they went off happily. Then it says in verse 22, the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful, my useful and reliable manager. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Hi, two! Let's go celebrate together. Then in verse 24, the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew, I knew, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate, and I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, 
Here's your money back, he says. And the master says, oh, you poor, poor dear. I did not realize that you would be afraid if I left you with a bag of silver. I never should have done that to you. Hi, one, come along and enjoy. Now, if you read the Bibles, it says something completely different. He says to him, behold, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Also translated, you annoying and full of laborous um, um, stuff, servant. He says, you're wicked, you're lazy. If you knew, if you knew, if you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. He's basically saying you should have at least given it to someone else to manage for you. Um, and we find out that that's exactly what happened. So then in verse 28, the master ordered, take the money from this servant. Give it to the one with 10 bags of silver and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. To those who manage well what they've been given, even more will be given. They will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. For those who manage poorly, even what they have will be lost. I said you knew. I said you knew. This morning, maybe you come to this place and you didn't know, but now you know. As a follower of Jesus, it's this idea, like James said, if you get pricked in the heart, it's like you feel something like, that's me. I got to be doing something about this. I'm the guy with the sieve. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to change something about that. He says, don't deceive yourself. Start, start today. Start today. He says, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. A couple thoughts in this story as we're rounding down. It's this. This idea of watch is understanding that it's all his. If you're raised in a church like me, it was like, give 10% and the 90% is yours. You're like, okay, give 10%. Now, God, don't touch mine. The rest I get to do it. I gave you your 10%. You leave me alone. I buy whatever I want with this. It's all his. That's what he says. He entrusted them with his money. You know why it's all his? I'll tell you that no one's figured out even how to take a dime with them when they leave. You don't see the U-Haul following the hearse. You don't see that idea of like, oh, I'm going to take it all with me. We can't even figure out how to do it. Not even a dime because when you're gone, all that money you had will still be here because it isn't yours. But we think it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Why is it so important? He says to manage it because it's all his. And number two is he's given it to us, to you, to me, to manage. He's put it in our hand to manage. You know, if you, if you had money and, and some of you, you're on the spot where you're investing. If you went to your financial investor or your financial manager and you went to him and said, hey, how's my investments doing? And he says, oh, your investments. Yeah, they're around here somewhere. Um, I think they're doing good. I'm pretty sure that like, I'm pretty sure they're growing. You'd be like, what? Your job is to watch my money and manage it and make sure it's growing. You'd be like, you're not my manager anymore because I don't know what you're doing with it. I gotta make sure there's somebody who knows what they're doing with it. Be like bad managers, like a farmer hires somebody to go plant his field with seed and says, okay, here's a seed now, go plant that field. And the manager's like, oh, I love the seed. Takes all the seed home, puts a swimming pool in his, in his uh, bedroom, pours all the seed in, and then every morning wakes up and like, oh, I love that seed, and jumps in. He's swimming in the seed every day thinking, this is so great. I'm so glad the manager gave me all this seed. And the farmer's like after a month looking like, nothing's growing. What did you do with the seed? Oh, I thought you gave it to me. I just have it in a pool in my room. He's like, that's ridiculous. You know, you're fired. You know, if somebody hires you to be the manager of Walmart and you get there and you're like, yep, yeah, first day, pull up the truck, boys, load them up, put all this stuff in my garage. You'd be like, what? No, you're fired. And we think, boy, yeah, people, we'd never do that. We'd never do that. We'd know where it was all. He says the idea was never that it would be just, you know, just taking it in for you. It's not what it's for. 
third thought is there was only a certain amount of time that they had before the manager came back. And every one of us, none of us know how much time we have. We got today. So the idea is to start today because he will require an account of how we've managed what he's given us. So how did you manage what he's entrusted to you? Did you know where it's going? Why? Because I got to be knowing where... Oh, they forget so quickly. I got to be knowing where... My money's going. Why? Because it ain't mine. It's not mine. I'm managing somebody else's stuff. I'm going to have to give an account for where it went. So the number one thing of figuring it out is, is, is knowing where it's going to, to track it down. And here's the thought. The story's not just about money. Because the truth is that whatever you do not manage well, you'll lose. And it's not just money. It's your time. You don't manage your time well, you'll lose it. You procrastinate about everything, you don't get that time back. You don't manage the time with your family and friends, you can't get it back. Your talents, those gifts that God's given to you, they're best used now. Not 10, 20, 30 years from now, but if you don't manage them, you'll lose them. Your health, if you don't manage your health and say, ah, I gotta stop eating at McDonald's 10 times a week. Or even once. You'll lose your health. Talk to anybody who's lost their health and is in the spot where they are. They look back and realize, wow, should have, would have managed it better. Marriage. You don't manage your marriage. Some of you are like, what? I've got to manage my marriage? Yeah, you do. You schedule everything else. You leave the most important thing off the schedule. Guess what happens? That time, that space that gets filled up. Manage it or you'll lose it. Your family, your kids. Manage it. Manage them. Not under your thumb, but manage them. Spend time, quality time with your kids. I was talking about this last night that I think about my family and my parents. We may not have had everything. We may not have gone everywhere. But one thing I know is that at the end, the, the way that they managed time with us as a family made me want to be his friend when I got to the age of an adult. Where are you going to be when your kids grow up? Are they going to be like, oh, I'm so glad to be gone? Or did you manage it well so that you have new friends at that point? Business don't manage it, you'll lose it. Your finances, if you don't start managing it, you'll lose it. And you know it because you just know it from the other side. Like, I lost it. I don't know where it went. He's saying, manage it. Start with this. Know where your money's going. Start tracking it. Start finding out. Start just figuring it out. You're like, well, Visa does that for me. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, (laughs) Let me close with this. Because the whole idea of this story was not really just all about money, but it's about where our heart and our treasure is. In Matthew chapter 25 at the end, Jesus says to them this in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the, from the creation of the world. For I was hungry. You fed me. You've heard this before. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And we know the story. They all ask him, Jesus, when did we do this? We never saw you hungry. We're always with you. You know, I'm pretty sure we never saw you naked. Like, what's going on here? What are you talking about? And what does he say to him? He says, the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've did it to, done it to me. It's done to the least of these, you've done it to me. See what he's talking about in the spot is this idea of don't think about it's all for here. It's all for there. Do you know every one of these things he's talking about costs money, costs resources? You can't feed somebody without being able to pay for it, but if you don't have anything left, if you've just let it all go away, you've got nothing to be obedient. 
can't buy clothes for someone if you don't have it. But he's saying all of these things cost money. But he says, it's not about the money. It's not about that. It's about, he says, it's about the idea of using what I gave you to put treasure up here, to keep your heart up here, to realize what's important. It ain't stuff, it's the people. Because when you do it to them, you've done it to me. So I read this, I had to ask myself, when's the last time that I've ever, that I've, that I've used my, the money that he's put in my, entrusted me with for these purposes? When's the last time on purpose that I went out of my way to feed someone, that I went out of my way to clothe someone other than my own kids? When's the last time I've done that? It's highly motivating for me to realize that that's what he's entrusted me to use it for, and it wasn't just for me. He's given you something to manage. He's blessed you with all kinds of things, and one of those things is finances and funds. You've got to be knowing where your money's going. So this week, I want to challenge you with this. Andy Stanley challenged him in the Balance Series with this thought. You've got to spy on your money. This week, I just want you all to be like super spies. Go out there, take a list, write the date, what you bought, and how much you spent. Just for a week. And some of you are like, oh, come on, Mark. Seriously, do I have to know? Yeah, why? Because it ain't your stuff. It ain't your stuff. Part one is just figuring out where is it all going. You know where it comes from, but where is it all going? And just jot those things down and just do it for one week. Just do it for one week. Why? Because it'll help get your heart out of this and onto there. Where it's always been, you know, the Bible just talks about the beginning. Start going after the stuff, it's going to bring pain. We want to spare you that, but I can't do it for you. I encourage you to challenge and hopefully through teaching this stuff this morning, you've learned some things. But don't go make any rash decisions. Next week we'll talk about the how. If you don't go and give it all away this week, We'll tell you this week about how uh, next week, all right? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being such an amazing, amazing father. Thank you for giving us the tools that we need to, to use this, these gifts that you've given us for your glory and for the best. God, I thank you that uh, we can work with you, serve with you. Uh, that's the best part, this relationship with you. Um, this morning, I thank you that your spirit goes with every one of your followers from this place, that they hear your voice on the inside, that they can be led by you. Father, I pray that as we put your word into practice, as we live out your truth, we would see it in our own lives, but more than that, that we shine bright to our world around us, that they would see you. It's in your name, for your glory we live. Amen.